Who's ready to talk about suffering? <laughs> if you have a copy of God's Word, would you open to the book of Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5. I hear you guys have been saving all of your energy for this moment. You did not leave it on the slopes. You brought it all here. So we're ready to hear God's word. Well, as you turn to Romans 5, let me just set the stage for this. When I was in high school, the suffering that I experienced was limited to two things. Acne and the fact that the girl I crushed on for like two and a half years thought me like a brother. The struggle is real, fellas. The struggle is real. At the same time, my best friend, who's still one of my best friends, his mom died when we were in seventh grade. So I just want to acknowledge right now that in this room, some of you your, your suffering has like peaked out at acne and your crush doesn't like you back. And for others of you, you're like off the charts. So we want to recognize that and know that some of you are going to be into this because you really need to hear something for right now where you are. And some of you, uh, it's going to be like when I turned 16 and my dad took me out to our 79 Bonneville and he said... This tire is flat. It wasn't. This tire is flat. I need you to take it off and put it back on to show me that when you start driving by yourself, you can do that if it happens. I didn't have a flat tire for like seven years after that. But guess what I was glad I had done once it happened? I was glad that I went through that exercise. So this could be a training exercise for some of you. And for others, it could be Uh, the word you need this moment. So before we read God's word, can we just still our hearts and invite the Holy Spirit into this time we're going to have together? Let me just ask you to, to take two deep breaths before we pray. Our God and Father, what a privilege to be here opening your word, opening our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, opening very vulnerable and sorrowful parts of our lives to the work you may want to do in us, and allowing some of the veneer to disappear so that we can be real with you and allow the grace of Jesus to nourish us in those places where we are really hurting. I pray for those who, for whom life is pretty good right now, that they would take good notes for when it's not. And I pray for those who have some real suffering they're in the middle of, that you would speak hope into their pain. In Jesus' name, amen. The question we're asking is, where is God when I am suffering. Let's read Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. There's our word. In our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In our church, after we read the word, um, I'm going to say something, and you're going to say, thanks be to God, okay? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's try that again. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Paul, in this text, is trying to reconcile what he says in verse 1 when he says, we have peace with God, with what he's going to say in Romans 8. And if you have a a physical Bible open, if you flip over to Romans 8.35, What he's going to say in chapter 835, when he asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And sword just means we could die for Jesus. And Paul did. So this is not theoretical for him. And and he's trying to reconcile this statement that we have peace with God with the fact that we are going through all these trials. Have you ever had that friend that you thought everything was cool and then you see them at school or see them at church and they give you the cold shoulder and the side eye and you're like, what did I do? I thought we were cool, right? And that's a modern way to say what Paul says We have peace with God. That's not just peace in your heart. That's categorically like America has peace with Canada. Not so much with Russia right now, but with Canada, we are absolutely cool. There's nobody coming over the border to fight us right now, right? And so with God, we think everything's fine. We are at peace, right? And then things crash in your life. And what's the first question that comes to your mind? Where is God? Where is God? How could this horrible thing happen if I have a father in heaven who loves me and we're at peace? We're okay, right? So Paul's trying to reconcile this, and I think he has three answers for us to where is God when I am suffering? And the first answer to that is he is in the depths refining my hope. He is in the depths refining my hope. Verse 5 says, hope does not put us to shame. So there's a kind of hope that when you have it, you don't feel ashamed. And there's another kind of hope that does put you to shame. Just for an example here in verse 2, he says, we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. Let me tell you, you will never be ashamed of putting your ultimate hope in wanting to see God in his unveiled splendor. To take that moment that you had here, let me tell you, my, 
My little guy, Samuel, wanted to come with me. Wave Samuel. Samuel turns nine tomorrow. I said, Sam, do you want to go hang out with a bunch of awesome middle schooler and high schoolers? And he was like, absolutely, Dad, because he's still at that age where he thinks I am cool. And I love it. And so uh, Samuel is here. And uh, Samuel and I were standing up there during the worship time. And just to see you guys with your hands raised and rocking for Jesus just warms my heart. Let me tell you, you will never be ashamed of worshiping God. Because guess what? I got bad news for you Swifties, especially you, Malachi. Man, I know how much you love Taylor Swift. I I know Malachi, so I got to give a brother a hard time. Uh, Look, Taylor Swift is not always going to be around. Uh, We won't always be singing her songs, right? Guess whose praise we will be singing for eternity. All right, now I've got all the Swifties against me. So that's smart. You will never be ashamed to put your hope in the glory of God, to put your whole life's hope in the fact that you will see one day face-to-face the unveiled splendor of your creator, of the uncreated creator of the universe. As he shines in his eternal glory, you will never be ashamed of that hope. But there is hope that you should be ashamed of and you will be ashamed of. When I was in college, my very first week, I just started hanging out with the first guys I met in my hall. Uh, chalk that up to how not to do college. Learn to be more discerning than I was. Because the first two guys that I started hanging out with in college were absolute knuckleheads. And now one of them's like this prestigious law professor now. I don't know how that happened. But all these two guys ever talked about were all the girls that they wanted to meet and girls, girls. I was at a school in Birmingham, Alabama that had a three to one female to male ratio. And all they could talk about was girls. And I just wanted to fit in with, with this new, I barely knew anybody at this college. And so we're on the quad one time, we'd been throwing the football And I saw, I was in the music school and I saw two classmates that I knew and I just wanted, I just wanted to fit in with these guys. Look, I was terrified of women. I like my mom and my grandmother, there were, it's a total miracle that I ever got married uh, because I was just so terrified of talking to any female outside of my mom and my grandma. And, um, and so I say to these guys, Hey guys, I got to run. I got to go talk to some girls because I just thought, man, I have been a nerd my life, my whole life, and they don't have to know this. I'm in a new school, a new place. I might even be cool. And so I walk and they're like, all right, all right. And so I'm walking up and, and let's see, can I, can I get a, some, some visual aid here? Am I allowed to step up? No, I need two females. Like... <laughs> All right. All right. The two of y'all, just come here. Come here. Come here. Okay. So, so you stand right here and face each other, okay? Hi, Shoddy. So, hi, Shoddy is what I heard. So, here's what I... So, I walk up, and, and now I'm respectful, so I stand here and wait for them to finish their conversation. And, and in my heart, there's this whole hope that like, I can be cool 
and not a nerd. And, and my friends will think I'm cool, and these girls will think I'm cool, and I'm standing there waiting for them to finish this conversation politely, respectfully, not intruding, because I'm a gentleman. And they finish this conversation. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn this way and walk in the opposite directions. I kid you not, that is exactly what happened. And here I am standing like, y'all can sit down. Give it up for these ladies. And here I am standing like the biggest chump in the world. And thank goodness, I looked over to see my, my guys and they were gone. And I was like, dodge that bullet. At, this is not, this is off the point. After that, I started saying, uh, praying Psalm 16:3. As for the saints on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I said, God, you got to show me some excellent people to hang out with because these guys are losers and I don't want to go down the path that they're going down. So God gave me new friends. So that's how you do college. Say, God, show me some excellent people in whom I can delight and whom we can like seek Jesus together and not live after small things. But I want you to know that there is hope that should put you to shame. Hope that if I act according to what my peers want me to do, then I will be accepted and I will matter. That is a hope that puts us to shame. And here's what I want you to hear about that kind of hope. Suffering exposes misplaced hope. Those are four words you should probably write down. Suffering exposes misplaced hope. I'm not calling what happened at the quad suffering. That was just like God smiling on me and saying, stop, you know, like don't do that again. Um, But real suffering exposes misplaced hope. Our family lived in Phoenix for 11 years. I was, that was my first pastorate. And we didn't know this, but the house we were living in had mold in it. Does anybody know anybody who's had mold issues before? So you know it is not a fun ride. And so I had been a very chipper, sunny person, and that mold over time just destroyed my gut. And I, for the first time in my life, became depressed. And depression, y'all, it is the worst Everything seems dark. You don't want to get up and do anything. You feel sad for no reason. It was terrible. And all of a sudden, all the things that I had relied upon my whole life were gone. I didn't have emotional stamina. I didn't have the, the full use of my brain fog, the full use of my brain. Like the downside of being a nerd, you know, is you're a nerd. The upshot is I was the valedictorian of my class And I did really well, and I was smart, and I could write, and I could speak, and all these things. And then the the mold was just eating me from the inside. Suffering exposed misplaced hope because I was always the one who could help other people out. Some of y'all are like that. You're the one that in your mind, you're like, I don't need help. I'm the one that helps other people. And you find a sense of identity in that, that I'm a helper. I don't need anybody's help. And then you do need somebody's help. And that hope, that sense of identity in I'm the one that helps, all of a sudden when that gets taken away, 
you find that suffering exposes misplaced hope. And here's the thing. There are things that you set your hope on that you don't even realize that you set your hope on. I would wager that my guys up here sitting, and ladies, I can't tell who's up there, that, that those who are sitting, what do we call this? The track? It's not a balcony. I would wager that none of y'all walked in, came down the stairs, and looked at these columns that are holding up where you're sitting right now to be like, is this structurally sound? I'm not sure if I should trust. Like, y'all are putting a lot of trust in those columns right now. Like, those things, boop, there you go, right? Of course, what about y'all? I mean, bro, have you checked out this column to see how that's doing? Here's the thing. There are so many things in your life that you have not examined that you actually put trust in. And you don't realize it until you experience suffering. And you realize, oh, I was really relying on fill in the blank. Now, I don't know what that is for you. Um, I don't know if that's good grades. I don't know if that's popularity. I don't know if that's how you look. I don't know if that's your, your relationship, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, what you put your hope in, but suffering exposes hope. And here's the other thing, is that when you sin, when you do things that you know you're not supposed to do, uh, so if you're looking at pornography, that's hope. Because you're looking to that to say, I matter, I mean something. I have something I can go to for comfort. You're setting your hope in something that will put you to shame. And suffering of all sorts, whether it's criticism from somebody whose opinion you value, whether it's health issues, rejection, death of a loved one, all those things expose hope. And when, not if, when suffering exposes your misplaced hope, God is in the depths. You know what I mean by the depths, right? Like those deep places of your soul that you don't tell most people about. That Those deep places where what you really want, you really fear, what you really long for abides. God is in the depths refining your hope so that he can resituate your hope in him. So that as Paul says in verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let me put it this way. How do you know when your hope has been refined? How do you know when God has sufficiently exposed, I was hoping in this, I was hoping in this, it could not stand. How do you know when your hope has been refined? Here's how you know. When your hope is the right size. When your hope is the right size. It's fine to be excited about a first date or watching your team play in the AFC championship or going to a new school or whatever it is. But your hope needs to be the size of that thing. And here's what we do. You guys, y'all have grown up on smartphones. And so do you ever find yourself like just pinching stuff like that is not supposed to pinch. Like I took my wife a newspaper the other day and it was too small. And so she was like doing this to make it bigger. She's like, oh yeah, that's a newspaper. 
It's not a screen. So here's the thing. There's some things in your life that you have made really, really big, and you have a really big hope in them, and you need to make it, you need to squeeze it and make it small. You need to pinch that thing and make it the right size. And what that means is God, if, if you've made small things really big, you've probably also made a big thing really small. And you're not living like God is the uncreated creator who has redeemed you through the death of his son and promises you eternal bliss in his presence forever. God is just maybe something that you think about on Sunday morning when you go to church. And so you need to pinch down the big things and make them right size and expand God to the infinite size that he is and have a big, big hope in him and a small thing, a small hope in the things that are being exposed. So where is God when you're suffering? He's in the depths refining your hope. Number two, where is God when you're suffering? He is with me through the suffering. He is with me through the suffering. The reason that hope does not put us to shame is because God's love, Paul says, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a second. I don't know what kind of church background you all came up with. Some of you came up in churches where you didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit because it was kind of scary. You didn't know what to make of it. You saw some people on TV doing weird stuff in the name of the Holy Spirit, and you're like, no thanks. And then others of you maybe grew up in, in a tradition where the Holy Spirit was celebrated and talked about and valued, and His work was sought by those around you. But whatever you grew up with, let me say this. One of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and I I mention that because Paul says the reason hope doesn't put us to shame is because God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And one of the functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to give us tastes of the future, tastes of our future hope in the presence of God, in the new creation. Elsewhere, Paul says that the Spirit is the first fruits. So if any of you live around um, an apple orchard or, or some farmland where you know they're going to be bringing in a lot of, let's just use apples, where they're going to be bringing in a lot of apples, you bring in a basket of apples And that is just the first fruits of the fact that there will be so many more bushels that come in later. And the Holy Spirit is that first fruits. He's also, the Bible says, the down payment of our inheritance. It's like being told that you have a rich uncle, but being like, I don't know. I've never met the guy. I'm not holding my breath. And then somebody shows up to your door with a $10,000 check. And after you wake up from passing out, you say, what is this? And they say, oh, this is just a down payment. This is just 1% of what's coming later. Go cash it. You can put it in $1 bills and take a bath in it. Like this is $10,000 that is just a taste now of what you're going to get. And students, the Holy Spirit is the down payment now of the glory that we will experience in the presence of God forever. And the reason this matters is because when Paul says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, he means that we get tastes now 
through the Holy Spirit of being in the glorious, love-drenched presence of God, which is what will make heaven heaven. You know that, right? The only thing that makes heaven heaven is not the streets of gold or the crystal sea or pearly gates. It's that God is there. And with God there, we will be in a world of love forever. And the Holy Spirit is the presence of God, the empowering presence of God with us right now. And the reason that matters when we ask, where is God through suffering, is because the worst thing that can happen is not suffering, but suffering and feeling like you are alone, that you're alone, that you're carrying this all by yourself. Uh, Six years ago, this May, my dad died suddenly, unexpectedly of a heart attack. And the hardest part of losing one of the most important people in your life is that your world has just caved in like a load-bearing well got smashed in your home. And there's like ceiling tiles from the second floor dropping down onto your kitchen counter. And your world is just collapsing. And then you go to school, you go to work, you go out in your neighborhood, you go to the store, and guess what else? Nobody else is suffering. Nobody else's world has crashed. You, you're walking around and you, you just want to pull out a remote control and pause the world and just yell at everybody and say, things are not okay. Something happened that wrecked my life. How can you just be like shopping for soap when my dad died, right? Like this is, stop it. And you feel alone. And that's the worst. It's not just the suffering. This is why, look, be good to your siblings. My brother Danny is one of my best friends in the world. And he has been for the 43 years we've been on this earth together. And my brother and my sister, like us being together, was one of those things that got us through. And our our spouses and our family And here is where, when we think about suffering and being alone, we would rather, see, number two is he is with me through the suffering. Number two is not, he promises to magically stop the suffering. That's what we want number two to be. We want number two, we want to turn into this version of the prosperity gospel where we just say, now, if you really love Jesus, you won't hurt in this life. The only problem is, if you read the Bible, that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. In this world, you will have suffering, Jesus said. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will have troubles in this world. And the question is, will you go through it alone, or will you allow the presence of God to go through it with you? There are two ways that we experience the you-are-not-alone love of God when we're going through suffering. And one of the ways is through your daily time with God. When you open up God's Word, we we say this in our church when uh, when we preach, that we expect the Spirit of God 
to use the word of God to change the people of God. And when you open up God's word, the Holy Spirit is there to allow you not just to know some more Bible facts in your brain, but to actually taste and experience the presence of God. And so, please, I know Lee and your leaders here probably tell you all the time, have your quiet time, have your time with God. And when I was growing up in youth group, they always said that. And guess what? They're right. The only way to know God is to open his word and read through the pages of, say you're in the gospels and you're reading about Jesus' suffering. And you're asking, Holy Spirit, help me to taste and experience the nearness of the Jesus who suffered to me right now. So I know that I'm not alone. Do you guys watch The Chosen? Anybody seen The Chosen? The rest of you don't. You should. Uh, They don't pay me, but you just, it's awesome. And like, when you watch that show, you're like, Jesus was a real guy. He was a dude. Like, he was a real man. He's not just this, like, painting in Sunday school. He was a real man. And when you open the word, like, you're hearing the actual words of a real man. And just as you, as you spend time with the Lord, just close your eyes and imagine, like, Jesus is sitting right there, the person of Jesus. And in his eyes, he's looking, and you're just like, Jesus, it hurts so much. And I, I think the words you will hear from Jesus are, I know, I know. There's nothing you will suffer in this life that Jesus did not suffer. That, that's one way we experience the you're not alone love of God. The other way, so that's through our spiritual encounter with Jesus. But the other way is through the body of Jesus. And And who does the scripture say is the body of Christ right now? The church. So that's like, that's like y'all, flesh and blood. So when you break up into your small groups and you're sitting around with six or uh, however many are in your groups and, and God brings something to your mind to say to somebody else in your group and say, I just want to say this, this is in my heart. I want to say this to you. Guess what? God can use that in their life as the presence of Jesus to them. Uh, My wife right now is at home, not well. On December 27th, she started having pain that she could only compare to giving birth. So... For the moms in the room, that's, you know, that's as high as it gets, I'm pretty sure. Never had it myself, but I hear it's bad. And after two days of that pain in uh, her digestive system, we took her to the hospital. She was in the hospital for 15 days. Um, she's home, but she's not really better yet. We have some tests coming up tomorrow and Thursday. And... In the midst of this, I mean, she was in grad school to become a, a counselor. She's raising our four kids. She's doing all these wonderful things. And God just put the pause button on our life. Like, we're talking right now. This is not just like 17 years ago. It was like right now. And such that, and I, I tried to do everything because I'm the guy who can do everything, worked for about a week and a half, and then I was knocked out 
in bed. I had to sleep like 14 hours. She's like, you're worse off than me. So we had to ask for help. That's what you do. And there's an older man in our church who said, I'm going to drive your kids to school and I'm going to pick them up from school. And so every day he or a couple others from our church um, take the, the kids, Sam and his brother, to school and then bring them back. And look, I don't know if y'all have experienced this yet, but sometimes it's actually harder to receive help than to give help. Do you know how humbling it is to have to sit there and let a man who's almost 80 years old just like do the stuff for your family? And look, nothing against 80-year-olds, right? I'm just saying, like I'm 46, which I know to you all sounds old. But I lead a widow's group every week. I call them my ladies in their 80s, and they think I am a child. So put in perspective, okay? And to have somebody who's almost 80 years old to help you out because you can't do it all, it's humbling. And he was in the house one time after he brought Sam and his brother home, and he and my wife, Rachel, were talking and, you know, we're, you're almost all apologetic, like, oh, we can't accept all this help. And he, look, this guy was in the CIA, so he didn't mess around. He's just like straight to the point. And he said, look, I am in this with you. I just want you to hear that one more time. He said to her, I am in this with you. And a week later when he was there in the house, she said, I want you to know that when you said those words to me, I felt the presence and the love of God in your words. And this guy who has done things he's not allowed to tell us and will have to take to his grave, he said, I think that's the most important thing anyone's ever said to me in my life. And I just want to tell you guys that along with your spiritual experience of God in the midst of suffering, to know in your heart that you're not alone, you need the body of Christ. You need each other. You need to be that for each other, to speak those words into your sisters, into your brothers' lives, and you also need to receive that, to say, thank you. You are the hands and the feet of Jesus reaching out to me right now. Let's move to our third and final point. Where is God when I am suffering? First, he's in the depths, refining my hope. Second, he is with me. Through the suffering, he's not necessarily stopping it, but he is with me, so I know I'm not alone. Third and finally, he is on the other side of the suffering. Whether you are going through the loss of a family member or rejection by someone important to you or the breakup or not getting into the program or not making the team or whatever you're going through, what you need to know, that deep gut feeling in your, 
in your innards is like, I need to know that somebody else has gone through this and they made it to the other side. That's what I need to know right now. I mentioned earlier that my best friend, uh, this mom died when we were in seventh grade. Fast forward, that was like, I don't know, before the internet, 1991 or something. Fast forward to 2017, and we're in Phoenix together. I had just spoken somewhere, and we were there. I was introducing him to some friends uh, that I knew in Phoenix. And one of my pastor friends in Phoenix, his wife had cancer. And I felt like this was a divine opportunity. And so I just, like, I just went there. And I said, Carrie, this is my friend Jamie. And when we were in seventh grade, his mom died of cancer. And big tears welled up in her eyes. And she said, and you turned out okay. And he said, I did. See, Carrie wasn't afraid of dying. She knew Jesus. She knew she would be with the Lord. But Carrie had three sons. And she couldn't fathom the idea of them being without their mama. And to see this grown man doing good for himself, well-adjusted, and to know you made it through the other side of this. You're okay. And I, I, can, I can release this. And she did die. Carrie died about a year and a half later. And then her husband remarried and they moved to the, from Phoenix to Northern Virginia. And he's at a church in Northern Virginia now. And his boys are doing great. I mean, they miss their mom like everything, but they're doing okay. And what we need to know in our times of suffering, what we need so that we don't lose hope is to know that I can get through this to the other side. I want us to read the rest of Romans 5, 6 through 11, and then I'm going to try to quickly bring this home. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All right, here's the problem, guys. I saved like some heavy stuff for the end. And I'm not sure, are we, can we do this? Can, do y'all have one more point in you? You got it? Okay. I want you to raise your arms over your head. Ah! 
all that, feel that ski pole in your brain, and then maybe like move a little bit to the left or the right, wake up your neighbor next to you sleeping. Okay, we good? All right, give me three claps. One, two, three. Okay, here's the thing. Come back to me. Here's the thing. Death is the ultimate suffering. That'll quiet a room. Death is the ultimate suffering. What is it that we hate about suffering? Is that we feel alone, right? Death is the ultimate suffering because then it means like Carrie, thinking about her boys, thinking about her husband, we're going to be alone. And that's physical death. But spiritual death, being separated from God, is infinitely worse and more consequential. What separates us from God and what brought suffering into the world is what? Satan. And when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, what came into the world? Sin, right? Sin, our rebellion against God saying, no, thank you. I'm going to be my own king and I don't want you to tell me what to do. Sin brings suffering and death and separation from God into the world. And listen to this. The ultimate display of the love of God for you is that while you are still sinning, while you are still stiff-arming the Almighty, saying, no thanks, I may be 17, but I think I know better how to live my life than to listen to the Almighty Creator of all the heavens and the earth. And while we are still sinning, God comes after us. That's the love of God. That's the ultimate display of God's love, that he chased you down when you were still running away from him. And it is this, saving us from the coming wrath of the final judgment so that after we die, we will meet God as a father instead of a judge because Christ has reconciled us with God. Now, I just dropped a whole lot on you and let me tell you why. Because I want you to hear this. God wants more for you than your suffering. I want you to hear that because it doesn't feel like it when you're in the middle of it. It feels like, God, where are you? It feels like, God, what are you doing? It feels like, God, why did this have to happen? It feels like, God, I don't understand. And I want you to hear from the word of God right now that God wants more for you than your suffering. There's this phrase Paul uses in chapter 5. If you have your Bible still open, you can see it in verse uh, 10, uh, verse 9 and verse 10. It's the phrase, much more. He says, since we have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's something about thinking forward to the end of all things when God will come in judgment that puts our suffering in the present in perspective. It doesn't minimize it. It doesn't say your pain doesn't matter. It just says, Oh no, something much bigger and much worse is coming. And he says, and guess what? 
the Spirit now pouring the love of God in your heart, the love that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you to bring you home to God, that tells you that when the worst suffering possible, being separated from God forever, comes about, that you don't have to experience that because you have been made right with God through Jesus. If while we were enemies, we were made friends with God by the death of his son, much more, there's that phrase, much more that we are reconciled, shall we be saved in the future? Shall we be saved by his life? God is on the other side of your suffering. And I'm just skipping all the way to death. I know that's morose, but guys, I was given suffering as a topic. So it's got to be, it's going to be sad here. Like we're all going to die, right? We know that, right? I know you're like going down those black diamonds or do they have black diamonds here? Okay. You're going down those black diamonds. You're like Lindsay vaunting this thing and showing them how awesome you are. And you're feeling like I'm going to live forever. You're not, I'm not, none of us are going to live forever. But listen, on the other side of your suffering, all the way from the breakup Will I ever find love again? Yes, you're 14. You will find love again, I promise. All, all the way from the breakup to the day you take your last breath, God will be on the other side of your suffering. So I just want you to hear these last two points but before we bring this to a close with a story about my son, Samuel. I want you to hear these, this number two and three. Where is God when I'm suffering? He is with you. He's not going to magically make it go away. Life is probably going to be hard. Sorry, I don't make the rules. But guess what? God will be with you. Just like when Joseph was in the dungeon, it says the Lord was with Joseph. God will be with you in the suffering, and he will be on the other side of the suffering. Actually, two stories and then I'm done. I haven't looked at my clock, Lee, to know when, so I'm probably like way over. But my granddaddy Mac, when he was dying, he was ready to see Jesus. Let me tell you, there's no sweeter thing than when you're at the end of your life to just want to see Jesus. And... He was in hospice, they were giving him pain relief, and he was in his bed, and his children were around him, and he closed his eyes, and then he opened them. And do you know what he said? Why am I still here? <laughs> My mom and her, her sisters and her brother, they're like, we love you, daddy, we... <laughs> You were such a good dad, all those things. And he's like, oh. And he closes his eyes. And he opened them again. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing here? <laughs> Do you know why? Because he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. I just want you to know, like, I don't care how bad it is when you open your eyes after you die and you see Jesus face to face. 
You're not going to be like, oh, I wanted to go back and see who won the presidential election. Or see if the Chiefs could do it three times in a row. You know, like, like none of that's going to matter. None of that. almost lost it with the Chief. None of that is going to matter when you're seeing Jesus face to face because he's on the other side. So the last story, when my dad died, Samuel was three years old. And we have a video. I'll show it to you afterwards if you want. We have a video of Samuel at three years old at the graveside. Let me just like take a wild guess what a three-year-old with a pile of dirt covering the casket we just lowered down, take a wild guess what Samuel was doing. Playing in the dirt. Here, here he is. He's sitting here, and he's just like playing in the dirt, and he makes a clump of dirt, and he puts it back, and he, I mean, he's just, he's a three-year-old. Of course he's going to play in the dirt. And I asked him, I said, Sam, what happened? And just with straightforward, like, three-year-old clarity, he said, Grandpa's dead. He died. And I said, where is Grandpa? And I kid you not, he said, he's into God. And I want you to hear that you can go through anything, even death, if once it's over, your whole existence is, he's into God. She's into God. Her whole existence, his whole existence is being in the presence of God forever. No more pain and suffering. No more death. No more loss. No more taxes. Come on. Y'all don't even pay taxes. Come on. (laughs) This is... This is where the adults are supposed to clap. Not, y'all don't pay taxes. <clears throat> okay, bring him back with me and we're going to pray. Shh. Where is God when I'm suffering? He's in the depths. He's in the depths refining my hope. Where is God? He's with me through the suffering. And where is God? He's on the other side. So that whether it's the hardship you're going through right now or the ultimate suffering, which is death, God is there. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for the privilege of speaking to these students. And I again acknowledge that some of them, life's going great. And some of them, they feel like the roof is caving in. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would cause them to know right now that they are not alone that Jesus, the one who suffered on the cross for them, is with them, that he looks them in the eye and says, I know that you love them and never will forsake them. God, I pray that you would be so present with us in our suffering and grant us to know that you'll be with us on the other side. Lord, help all of our hope be the right size, most importantly, our hope in you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Um,